Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tottenham. What a week for Tottenham Hotspur. Victorious at Manchester City on Saturday evening with that brilliant 3-2 win. And then they came crashing back down to earth with an almighty bang at Burnley following a 1-0 defeat. As ever in the world of Tottenham, there is plenty to discuss, including those post-match comments from Antonio Conte. Alice the Gold is joining me as ever. Ali, how are you, first of all? Oh, yeah. It was well worth the uh, long trip up to Burnley and the wind and rain and hail and snow and everything that Burnley throws at you. Yeah, another week in the life of Tottenham Hotspur. It's um, certainly never boring. We'll give it that. Um, but, yeah, it is... Uh, I think if any team sums up roller coaster, it pretty much is Tottenham Hotspur. But, uh, as you say, gives us plenty to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, it was very nice of you to come and join me at Turf Moor for the first time in a, a few seasons. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so you, glad I did. Yeah. <laughs> first of all, do you want to give us your thoughts on Tottenham's performance at Turf Moor? Oh, man, where to start? Um, it's one of those things, wasn't it? I think every Spurs fan, you, you're not really a Spurs fan, I don't think, unless you felt, okay, we beat Man City, but now we're going to go and uh, do just kind of mess up against Burnley. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, as soon as I kind of saw the weather, and we, we, you know, we were there and just it was like swirling rain. It wasn't even just rain coming down like any normal city or town would have it. It was like almost like a tornado of rain going around the pitch and you're just like, oh, this is exactly what like Burnley, it kind of just played into that stereotype of a Burnley match. Um, and, you know, he named an unchanged lineup, which I think every one of us would have done. Was, I don't think there was anything wrong with that. I do see some revising of history now on social media. There's like some people going now like, well, of course you have to name a different team to play Burnley. It's a different match. It's like, yeah, you were probably about two days ago saying you can't change a winning team. Um, so I understood why he did it. And, yeah, I mean, it was a very good study of how the same 11 players can put in very different performances and how, you know, while it was a completely different game to the Man City game, it doesn't necessarily mean it was an easier game. It was, uh, you know, Burnley brought everything. And Burnley are in form. You know, as, as Sean Dyche says afterwards, we've kept four clean sheets out of the last six or something. Three of those against teams that we consider top six teams. So it's not like they were going to be a pushover at all. But, yeah, <laughs> it was like the highs of the Etihad. I mean, when we were just, you know, both of us, I think, were blown away by how good Spurs were. And essentially just Spurs were blown away by the wind on Wednesday night. They were just... It was kind of, I wouldn't say they were passive because they were, <clears throat> excuse me, voices going, <clears throat> clearly the uh, the weather has got to me, but they, I wouldn't say they were passive in terms of they were battling on the pitch, but they were just so blunt. They just didn't really, there weren't too many occasions where we felt, oh, here comes the goal. Um, it, it, they just, yeah, struggled and it was it was really disappointing and you know, I can understand <clears throat> why <laughs> why my voice my voice has just given up. It's just like I've had it with Spurs. I'm, I'm not doing any more of this talking lot. Um, <clears throat> I understand why Conte was upset um, with the difference in the performances, but there's a lot more to his outburst. I think we're going to go into. Yeah, I think you know what you're going to get when you go to Burnley. The games are never straightforward. I think the only 
game I can remember in recent years when Tottenham have gone there and won so convincingly is, was it 3-0? Harry Kane got a hat-trick, 2016-17. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, they've all been very close games, as was the case in, November, in October for the uh, Carabao Cup game when Nuno was still in charge. And he, I mean, you look at Burnley's position in the table and you're thinking, yeah, on paper, straightforward win. Nah, it was never going to be like that. Burnley then had lost nine games in the Premier League this season. Only one more than West Ham, who are above Tottenham in the table. Burnley's problem has been they just haven't been able to convert those draws into wins. And I think for me, it was always uh, a case of once they've got one win and they get on the roll, they'll get another and they'll get another and they'll get themselves out of it. And they were fantastic at Brighton the other day. So you knew Spurs were really going to be in for uh, a battle. And watching the highlights back yesterday morning, the, the, what they'd done, didn't show any of the first half. I mean, there was, there was nothing in the first half at all. No, it wasn't. Both keepers had literally nothing to do. I think there was, what, a hurricane effort after about 30 seconds. Spurs started well. They had like two corners in the first 50 seconds. Mm. And then after that, just no chances really. And then you're looking at the highlights and Spurs are the ones who had the better chances. So early showed Jay Rodriguez's header and then Ben Mee's goal. Spurs had... Kane hitting the crossbar, uh, flashed one wide, Kulisevsky killed one wide, Ben Davis had a shot saved by Nick Pope, Bergwijn had a late effort saved as well. Rodriguez did whack one over from about four yards, didn't he? Oh, he did, yes. Uh, that was the final 10 minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, if you, Yeah, if you put that in, then that was definitely game over. But Spurs just did nothing really to test Nick Pope. I mean, it was always going to be a totally different game to the Man City one because when they were speaking to Eric Dyer after the game at the Etihad he was saying their plan was obviously to play out from the back that then brings City forward and then leaves gaps they did try that against Burnley but Burnley just remained strong in defence so there weren't as many gaps uh, this time and yeah unfortunately didn't come away uh, with the win and Big, big chance missed, really, because Arsenal obviously got the points on the board last night in the uh, race uh, for the top four. Why, why do you think... Go on, no, go on. I was going to ask you, uh, why do you think things just didn't click? Yeah, weird. We were both about to say pretty much the same thing at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and miners are so in tune. I was about to say, it's kind of like there's this weird thing where I kind of feel Spurs are better suited to playing the likes of Man City and Liverpool and teams that give them that little bit of space in behind because as soon as they come, this is an age-old thing with Spurs, as soon as they come up against a team that does sit back and is a bit compact, and that's not to say Burnley completely sat back. They pressed quite a lot in that first half. Uh, but second half, they more kind of withdrew into that um, like a compact shape and Spurs just didn't know what to do. They just, they're there, you know, Spurs kind of, I don't want to call them a one-trick pony, but certainly there's been a lot of reliance in the last couple of years on Kane coming short, knocking the ball over the top, Son running through. It's been it's like a tried and tested kind of method that has obviously brought lots of goals for the two of them. But when they don't have that space to run onto, they just need to have that little bit more now, so that little bit of um, intelligence in their decisions and what they do. And I think, um, I'm sure we'll come on to them anyway, but I think... <sighs> 
in Conte's system, it's about the width. It's about drawing players out of position from the opposition. And that's where I felt Spurs really struggled on Wednesday night. Whereas against City, the wing-backs were more there in a defensive role. It was more about, you know, Kulisewski and Son were providing the width and getting forward. Whereas I felt that, yeah, Wednesday night, it was more about Sessegnon and Emerson uh, making things happen and just just pulling some of the Burnley defence out towards the wings and creating a little bit more space in the middle. And both failed. They really did. I think that was that's a big thing on Wednesday night was that Emerson, uh, you know, we've, we've said it a million times, you know, we, we, his, his final third play is not the greatest. It's not an asset of his. It's something that really has to be heavily worked on. And obviously we have that joke in the press box that, Essentially, if you get a corner out of what Emerson does down the right, it's your best case scenario most of the time, which shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. And I just felt on Wednesday, he got into a few really good positions. Um, first half, maybe more so. There were just little moments where he popped up at the back and he thought, right, okay, this is the time for a really good ball into box. And he just, he just doesn't have that calmness and composure that someone maybe who's more used to attacking has got. And he either, I mean, there was one, wasn't there, where he cut inside and just launched it over the bar. And it was a bit like, what are you doing? There's like three players there to kind of play it along to. Um, so, yeah, that's that's clearly a, a problem area. And Ryan Session, I was probably even more disappointed with because it's like, it sounds like a bit of a teacher because I know you can do better. Is that I know, you know, and Conte even said it. I asked him about Sessignon on the day before the match, and and he said, you know, he has the potential to be like one of the one of the best. You know, he can he can be a star for Spurs and England. He could be, but Ryan Sessignon needs to believe that himself. He needs to be the first that knows that. And you know, we saw him as a young teenager just destroying defenses down that left side for Fulham. You know, sixteen goals in the season that they came up. I think he got. Eight assists as well. Um, we've seen him do it. Whether it's a lingering kind of hangover from the the hamstring injuries he's had, I don't know. But there were so many occasions. And to be fair, he did it against City a couple of times. But City was a bit different. It was more about him being tactically disciplined, which he really was. It was a good performance in that aspect. But in terms of getting at players, you just kind of like, come on, right, run. Now go, 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 go at him. And he just pretty much 99% of the time would turn inside and pass the ball to someone. And you're like, it's one of your strengths was your pace and your ability to beat a man, get to the byline, put a cross in. You know, it's probably one of the simplest things, like a basic wing play. Um, and he just, I don't know, he just played it safe each time. And I don't know where that's come from, whether it is the injury aspect. Um, but the problem is it goes the other way. If Even if he's not injured, but he's playing safe, he's not going to get in ahead of Sergio Regulon. And Regulon will come back in, because Regulon we know will do that. He has mixed success in, in kind of the end product Regulon, but we know he will try. He will always try and get behind the, the man. Um, I was yeah, just really disappointed for Session. Obviously, he's only 21. Um, and, you know, and Emerson's only 23. So these are two players that can improve still a hell of a lot in their careers. But, yeah, this this was a night when Spurs really needed those wing-backs. And, and Conte's system, you know, and he clearly is just going to stick to it, whatever. <laughs> he's going to stick to this back three. Um, despite, you know, maybe some concerns that maybe he should just change it up once in a while. But if he's going to stick to it, it needs the wing-backs working. And if the wing-backs aren't working, you're kind of losing. It's making a big attacking thrust in the team pretty much redundant. And then you end up with this kind of play through the middle. And you can't play like that against compact teams because there's nowhere to go.
I think with Sessignon, it's hard to believe he's, he's 21. Yeah. He just seems to have been around years now. Half a decade, isn't he? He's been around since he was 16, isn't he? Yeah, and as you said, he just looks totally different player to the one who burst onto the scene at Fulham back in 2016. He just looks a shadow of himself. Whether it is those hamstring injuries what have had an impact, maybe, but he just seems to lack confidence and he needs to rediscover it from somewhere because, as he said, if he's just going to be playing safe, then there's no way he's going to get in the head of Sergio Regalan. And then on the opposite side, Emerson, when he has been getting into good positions, he just seems to hesitate for a second when he should put it in quickly. And then when he needs to have a bit of time on the ball, he just seems to put it in quickly then. Mm. Uh, Again, for him, I think it's a case of he's new to the Premier League. He needs to adapt to the pace and intensity of it. Also needs to adapt to playing as a right wing back because he's not done that much in his career. But then if Emerson's starting and disappointing, what does that say about Matt Doherty? Because he can't even get a game. And, you know, you go back a few years, he was absolutely tremendous at Wolves. And everyone at the time were thinking, what a signing for Tottenham to try and fix that right back, right wing back position. Uh, One player who they did put in that right wing back role uh, towards the end of the game was Dejan Kulisewski. Quiet in the first half. He was, didn't really have a lot to do, but in the second half, Spurs had, I thought, a good 15 minutes at the start of the second half. Looked Mm -hmm. the better side and you're thinking, yeah, Spurs could probably go and grab one here. And then 65 minutes in, Conte changed things up. Emerson went off. Kulisewski went to right wing back with Lucas uh, going in the front three. And he did look dangerous there at times, Kulaseski. There was one where he cut inside, killed a shot wide. Yeah, he might not have played in that right wing back role a number of times in his career, but he has got the attacking quality there, uh, what Emerson doesn't. But then does he have the defensive quality? Probably not. But when you have three centre-backs, at least you're going to have Christian Romero who can come across and help cover you defensively at times. Do you think we'll see him in that role a lot more between now and May? I think Conte has to find an alternative on that right side. Um, you know, we saw Matt Doherty the other day, you know, coming on late on, making that block in the box, celebrating like he just scored a goal, which I really liked. I really liked the fact that he felt he'd made his contribution. He did, because, you know, who knows what could have happened if that shot had got through. But clearly, Conte's just decided no. And... It's tough to argue otherwise because every time Matt Doherty's had a chance, he hasn't really taken it. And, and that's kind of what you've got to do at this level. Um, in terms of Kulisevsky, it's a really difficult one. Obviously, the fact that Conte immediately, well, the day he joined, said he can play there. It's like, okay, you clearly got designs on that being a potential role for him. Um, despite the fact that I don't think any of us could find an instance where he's played as a wingback. I was trying to look back and I, I couldn't find any, certainly for Juventus anyway. And I don't think for Palmer, was it Palmer, wasn't it? He was at, yeah, he was at Palmer. He'd have played in an attacking role at Palmer. Yeah. The same when he was coming through at Atalanta. Yeah, it's a funny one. I mean, there's two ways to look at it, I suppose, is that, yes, he looked quite bright there, but then he wasn't really getting tested defensively at all in the role because it was at a point when Spurs were flying forward or trying to. Um, and he did similar with Stephen Bovine came on in the left wing back role and it was a bit like, yeah, you're not really wing back. So like, he was just kind of camped on the on the edge of the Burnley box. Um, it's a weird one because being left footed, 
it's quite an awkward right wing back kind of um, makeshift um, experiment, I guess, because you know, and I know some of the Swedish fans don't like me saying this, but it still seems to be the case that he likes to cut in a lot. I've very rarely seen him use his right foot yet. Um, and obviously the sample size is growing now. We're seeing more and more matches where he's not doing that. And that's not to say, you know, that right-footed players barely use their left, you know, so it's not to dig him out on that, but it's more the fact that as a right wing-back, if he were to play there, you know what he's going to do pretty much every time he gets near the box. He's going to have to cut in and then cross it. Whereas when he's playing as, a, as more of a one of those two number 10s behind Kane, he can drift around, he can come inside. It kind of gives him more options and it means he's not going to be predictable. Um, but as a wing-back, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder whether... Someone like a Lucas or a Bergvine maybe would be better suited um, on that right-hand side. And Kulisevsky maybe could play on the left. Um, and then you're going to get more decent crosses into the box. Because Kulisevsky can cross a ball, you know. Man City know that. So um, he can certainly do that. But I just don't know whether cutting in every time is going to work for him. Um, I thought he was, like you say, second half. I thought he was probably one of the more productive backing players on the pitch. I thought he again showed, you know... Good fitness as well. You know, very much is welcome to the Premier League, Decky. <laughs> Throw you in in the wind, hail and rain and everything um, at Burnley. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think they need to find a solution because Emerson, I think, for the games where you're going to probably do a bit more defending is a good option. When it's time to get forward and try and attack, I think we've seen now consistently that it isn't working with him. Um, and yeah, maybe that's the games when... When a Bergman or a Lucas or a Kulisevsky are going to be in that role, but I mean, why are we talking about that though? But and this is not to say why. How dare you talk about it? It's like why are we? Why did we get through the January transfer window and we're talking about that being a problem position when we were talking about it before the January transfer window? It's like they wasted so much time going after Adama Traore, who. Let's be honest, it looks like he always had designs on going back to Barcelona, and Barcelona weren't going to play him as a wing back. You know, if you're an attacking player, let's be honest, you don't really want to play wing-back. I know they always come out with this cliche, I'll play anywhere for the team. And it's like, yeah, but really, you don't want to, and it's not where you're at your best. So why didn't Spurs just immediately, like, or in the build-up, they knew their wing-backs weren't cutting it in the Conte system. They were very much, especially Emerson, was a player bought for Nuno Espirito Santo and the way he played with the back four. Um, so it's like, why didn't you just fix that? There's so many players out there. There's so many right wing back, potential right wing backs that yes, you maybe would have had to pay another couple of million, maybe five million to to secure some of them. But you know, you and I, when we do all our transfer window pieces, you know, we're looking at all the various players out there. There's, there's young Italian, the young players out in Serie A that if that's where Paratici is going to look at the bulk of his signings, there's loads of young kind of right wing backs that could have maybe come in and fit the Tottenham profile, done the job, and I just. I don't know, it's just that's such a big failing in that window. A lot of people will say about not getting a striker, but I think the right wing back for me was the biggest. It just, like I say, it's like a lopsided system now for Conte that doesn't really work because nothing is going to go down that right properly. It's going to be interesting to see who starts there against uh, Leeds tomorrow. Obviously, we will come on to that first, but still quite a bit to talk about from the <laughs> uh, Burnley defeat here. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about the other January signing, Rodrigo Benson. Unfortunately, he uh, looked like he sustained an injury at Burnley. Uh, I think it was after about 
five minutes. Josh Brownhill had the ball in midfield, made a swift turn, sent Benton Kerr the wrong way, given how wet the pitch was. He slit, almost did the splits, to be honest. That's how, yeah, just went to ground so quickly. Uh, Looked like he was holding his fire at first. Then when he got back up and played on, holding his hip, lasted until halftime, but he uh, was withdrawn at the break as Harry Winks came on. So now we're just waiting for an update on Benton Kerr and we've got Antonio Conte's press conference later this afternoon, so... We uh, will get the latest on Benton Kerr ahead of uh, the Leeds game, but he certainly a player Tottenham don't want to be losing at this stage. No, not at all. I mean, the early indications, and of course, we're doing this podcast before the press conference, so we will get kind of confirmation. But it sounds like it could be a couple of weeks, but I must stress that's unconfirmed. That's just some kind of early word that we're kind of hearing around the club and. I'm sure Conte will uh, hopefully tell us better news. Uh, definitely don't want to say worse because, like you say, it's he's looked. He just brought something a little bit fresher to that thing. And you do wonder with that second half with him on the pitch, whether there were just been more probing passes. More, he's just got that little bit of time. He's one of the, you know the better players. They look like they've got more time on the ball, even though they don't. It's, it's all about the decision making. I feel that with him. He, he uses the ball well. He shields it well. He's very clever in his kind of the way he opens up his body when he receives the ball. Um, and this is, you know, this is with no disrespect to Harry Winks, who I know a lot of fans are, are not the biggest fans of. But I do think if Benton could stays on that pitch, Spurs maybe had a better chance of, of winning that game because I, I do think he's he's just something a little bit different to what they've got in terms of. It was interesting because we had an Italian journalist sitting next to us against Man City and he was saying, oh, he's a very good player, but you won't see him playing like probing forward passes. And it's like, well, no, he's done quite a few of those so far. And in the City game, he's like, he immediately went up and, and he was uh, really involved in the Kane chance that was saved. And then he was involved in the final goal playing that ball. And we kind of turned to him and was like, are you sure? Are you sure it's the same with Benton Kerr? And he was like, well, maybe he's different at Tottenham. And it's like... Yeah, no, I've been really impressed with him, but it's just such a freak injury. He just kind of went in, and I can't remember who it was. It just suddenly turned, and it just caught him unawares. And as soon as your foot goes on that that pitch, and it was, it looked like he was doing some kind of gymnast fitness video. He was just absolutely spread eagled both directions. And I think, I think we, we were looking down after the game, and the players were leaving the pitch. They had to walk around it uh, as they were heading back to their coach. And I've, I've got a little video on my phone. I think it's Benton Kerr limping really heavily. Um, the more and more I look at it, I think it's him. Because they're all wrapped up, as as we were, against the weather. They were kind of really wrapped up. And I think it's Benton Kerr. And he was limping like, really, really heavily. That was someone that was probably carrying something. So, yeah, we'll find out more from Conte. But if it is two or three weeks out, then, you know, I'd say... Um, Conte will be praying to the god of injuries that um, Oliver Skip is is back sooner rather than later because I just the Winks and Hoybier partnership I, I don't think it's one that's going to inspire the fans um, I think the two of them on a pitch work better when they're in a three and I just think yeah I, th- I think I think he'll be wanting Skippy back um, Skippy's not the same as Benton Kerr he's not He's not going to provide those same kind of um, touches and turns. 
and passes. But what Skip does bring is the very kind of quick work, like the anticipation to destroy an opposition move and then very quickly get the ball back up to the other players. Very, very quickly. That's always his thought. It's like, quickly look up, who's there, let's get this ball going. And he lends himself to really quick counterattacks. Whereas maybe with Hoybeer and Winks, <clears throat> there's potentially that little bit more hesitation when they get the ball. There's that little moment where you can tell it's not their first instinct to get the ball probably forward. I don't know. It's maybe being harsh, but I just feel that Skip brings that a little bit better than and so does Benton Kerr. Um, so, yeah, it, it's classic Tottenham, isn't it? They can't have nice things. <laughs> they just can't. As you mentioned, Benton Kerr there walking around the pitch at the end. If you thought the rain was bad during the game, you oh, should have seen it about 20 minutes after. It was hail and rain all in one. And then well, that was at a time when we were listening to Sean Dyche's press conference on Zoom and you couldn't even hear it. That's how loud it you was in the stadium. For a minute. You had to pause because we just couldn't hear. It was clattering the stands and everything so hard. Yeah, and then obviously, as was the case at Man City uh, a few days earlier, we were waiting quite a while for Conte to come out and you think he'd have to yeah. defeat at Burnley, wanting to get home quickly. He'd be the first one out within like you know, 10, 15 minutes. No, we are waiting for him again and... To be honest, it was worth the wait his press conference because it was uh, he had plenty to say. Well, uh, his press officer was open. He wished he'd stayed in a little bit longer. Though. Yeah. <laughs> it was still very much full of his emotion. Yeah, uh, obviously, we'll we'll go into it now. He basically in his press conference he was questioning whether he's the right man for the job and, and maybe it. Does he leave? Now, I've got some snippets here from the BBC and the Sky ones, what I'd done. And the BBC is saying, I came here to help the club and if the problem could be the coach, I'm ready to go. No problem. Then with Sky, uh, he was talking about the players. The players are always the same. The club changes the coaches. The players are the same, but the results don't change. I'm too honest to accept this situation. You were putting your question to Conte he only had two questions in that press conference it was cut short what did you make of it then Uh, um, so yeah it was my question was second in the press conference and he I don't think it to be fair I don't don't think it was because of the question but he just managed to get himself more and more irate the more he spoke he almost kind of wound himself up And and I've watched back the BBC interview and it's an interesting one because I think if you see the quote in isolation, it almost looks like the journalist led him there. But actually, if you watch the the kind of the the little moment where he answers, it's it's an innocuous question about like the assessment of the team and what needs to happen. And he kind of goes somewhere. And he's like, oh, you know, if um, if I'm and there's like there's lots of hesitations. Like if 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 it's uh, maybe, maybe it's me, maybe it's me. And it's like almost as if he leads himself there without meaning to go in that direction. And it was a bit the same in the answer to me. It was like, he seemed like he was about to say something else. He started to say, what was it? It was like, um, oh, I can't remember what he said now. It was something like, oh, that's it. It goes, maybe maybe um, I'm not so good for, for uh, maybe I'm not so good for, and he just kind of about to say some sentence. And then he just suddenly decided, no, maybe I'm just not so good. And it was like, what, <laughs> what were you originally going to say? Why did you suddenly chop that and make it? About that. So, my thoughts on this, um, I'll be completely honest, as we always like to be. Um, I it, It's the first time it didn't really sit right with me. 
with Conte. I understand. Let me clarify exactly why I think Conte did it and from what I understand from those people around him. I'm told that although he'll never publicly criticise the players, he feels a bit let down by them in recent matches. Um, not a City one, obviously, but you know the, the, the three or four games around that. Um, and that this kind of was a ploy in a way to, to make them a little bit fearful because a lot of those players will know they've gone through a lot of managers. And if you can't win under Antonio Conte, people are going to look at you as players, you know, that clearly uh, you were the ones that didn't manage to win silverware under him. And I think, yeah, there's a perception that he was trying to scare them and like, I might leave. Where are you? Yeah, then you're stuffed, aren't you, kind of thing. But my issue with it is, is how it appears to everyone else. Um, you know, Saturday, you know, we're talking to him after the game. He tells us these are the best group of players he's ever worked with because of their commitment and their improve and they want to des- their desire to improve. So okay, brilliant. Tuesday, probably the happiest we've ever seen Antonio Conte, the most bubbly, lovely press conference. He tells us, I smile every day I walk into Hotspur Way. I'm so happy to work here. The next day, maybe I should leave. <laughs> so what? <laughs> How did we get there? And this is the problem with it. We know he's an emotional guy. We know he, after every game, has to go and decompress, essentially, um, and not talk to anyone because he's so plugged in and adrenaline after the uh, adrenaline burning after the game. And I just feel like... You've just taken the fans on this huge roller coaster yourself. I think had he come out and just said, "Look, it was a very different game, difficult game. Players didn't perform to the levels that we know they can, and they'll accept they can't. They didn't. Um, they got, you know, they they got out fought at Burnley, and well, not out fought, but they got out thought. I think at Burnley, um, and they just need to be better in creating openings and everything, things like that. And I, I don't think anyone really would have had a complaint about that because I think everyone probably felt the same. But to come out with this huge, I need to talk to the club, we need to have an assessment, oh, my God, what's happening here kind of thing. It's a bit like, where was the guy from 24 hours ago that was saying how great everything was? And, and what it does slightly I find bizarre is that he keeps asking the fans for patience and I understand why, and I understand there's a process, and he keeps asking for patience from those inside the club because clearly, you know, he doesn't want to get sacked or anything like that. And let's let's be honest, even with was it four defeats out of five, or whatever, he's not going to get sacked. Spurs know what they've got; they're not going to get rid of him because of this sticky spell. But to preach this patience to everyone around him and all the fans, and then on Wednesday night, sound like he'd thrown his patience right out the window. It's like, oh, come on. You know, I, and I'm a big Conte fan, and I think, given the time, given the proper backing, I think he could do terrific things for Tottenham. But I just felt Wednesday night just didn't sit right with me. You know, I get that those who don't like Daniel Levy, the board, whatever, want the um, want everything aired. They want like what difficulties Tottenham have had in recent years and things. However. Do you know what? I think it's going to go the other way. I think if Conte, every time there's a defeat, keeps telling the Tottenham fans how bad their club is, I think it's going to start to grate on them. And I think they're going to start to be like, what? We weren't saying that when we won. What's changed? And I think that's when the fans start to get a little bit annoyed at stuff like that. That's when they'll start to pay closer attention maybe to tactical things and selection things that will annoy them. 
Um, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's the way to do it. And I'm fascinated. Obviously, like I say, we're recording this before the press conference, but I head off to Hotspur Way in a little bit. And I'm fascinated to see whether he walks back his comment slightly or whether he continues down this vein in his press conference. Because, yeah, it's um, I've seen him getting criticism from some pundits as well. Um, and, yeah, it, it, I, I just think it's a, an interesting path to go down when you've preached for patience. We, we know that changes need to be made at Tottenham. And we know that, as with any manager, he would have wanted more in that January window. But then the flip side is Spurs needed someone to maybe open up Burnley yesterday. They needed someone just with a little bit of uh, just someone who could maybe either bring bring a take two players away with them um, or play a clever pass. If you want to remove Lacelso, Ondembele, Hill, Deli Ali out of your team, you've lost four players that could maybe give you that option. So you know, I appreciate that he probably would have wanted more than one attacking midfielder and replacement to that, but still, I don't think. You know, I don't think uh, Antonio Conte is completely blameless in this. Um, and that's not to say he should walk or be sacked or anything like that. But I just think um, it needs to be a less emotional uh, roller coaster we're on. Tottenham, no, Tottenham are a roller coaster as it is. We don't, we, don't need, we don't need someone telling everyone how bad they can be. We can see that. Um, yeah, I just wonder how the players reacted to that. I mean, I presume we'll see that on Saturday. Yeah, uh, we will. For me, I'm saying with you, I just think he's he's too emotional after games, mm. especially when they lose, because it's been the case a couple of times now. Yeah. After they've lost the games, it's like, I'm not really going to discuss the game. I'll discuss the problems with the club and what needs to happen. And that was the case at Chelsea after the Carabao Cup semi-final defeat. Might have been as well after the one, but... It's happened a few times now, and I didn't don't want to make a generalisation, but I think Italian people in general are quite very emotional. <laughs> I don't want to make a generalisation, but in general, <laughs> but I, I think they are. I mean, you see it on, on the passionate pitch. People. I think that's the way to say it. They are passionate about everything they do. Certainly, every Italian person I've met, I'd agree with that. Yes. Yeah, I think they are very emotional, and it clearly uh, just gets to him. But I also then agree with you what you said. I think the comments are a bit of a ploy, really. It's a message to the players: basically, book up your ideas, or I might not be your manager later down the line. So you need to sort that out. And then you notice also- there's no Spurs TV interview, by the way. Right, I didn't notice that because usually. After a game, the press conferences uh, or the pitch side interviews take place on the touchline, yeah, and there was none of that. Appeared. Was there? No, it hasn't appeared on their website. Hasn't appeared on social media. I can only presume either he didn't want to talk about the game with them either, or what he recorded was perhaps <laughs> not what the club wanted to put out. But yeah, I just found that really interesting. Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to say to you. Uh, did he say a bit too much? He was like, no, no, we can't run this. We can't run this. Uh, but yeah, I just think it's a, a message to the players, really. I don't think it's a message where he's going, basically, I'm on the verge of walking out. I, I just can't see him doing that. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. But then again, depending how emotional he gets uh, in the weeks ahead, who knows? But no, I can't he's see. He's going to walk out, is he? I mean, no. we looked at this. I think it's only Juventus is probably the one where he walked out 
like a little bit into pre-season because he wasn't happy with things. But um, yeah, it, it's more mutual when he leaves clubs. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I didn't really buy into the whole walking thing as we thought, as we get to the press conference. He announces his walking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think I think when he was at Chelsea, I think you kind of knew come January, February time in his final season, the club you knew he was going, yeah. but he was never gonna walk. Yeah. It was always going to be. It was going to be sacked, or there was going to be a mutual uh, agreement. Uh, but it's just so different. It's like chalk and cheese, isn't it? After the Man City top of the world, basically saying the players he's got are the best group of players he's ever had in terms of commitment and that, uh, just praising them like he obviously enjoys coming into training with a smile on his face for two to three hours every day, and then. Yeah, the other end of the spectrum where he's just so, you know, disillusioned with the club and uh, what's happening. So hopefully we'll have uh, a happy Antonio Conte in his press oh, conference so. on Friday and then on Saturday against Leeds. Uh, we'll have a quick talk about the Leeds game well, now. Can I just say, just before we move on, just briefly, because the Sky quotes were quite interesting. That was probably the closest he got to criticising the players. And it was more an overall Spurs players thing. Just very quickly read them out. It was, uh, you know, when you lose four games in the last five, it means the club has to make an assessment to speak together to understand what is the best solution. The players are always the same. The club has changed the coaches, but the players are always the same and the results don't change. I repeat, I'm too honest to accept this type of situation. For sure, we'll make an assessment with the club. It's not right, not good, everybody to continue to lose. I can't accept this. It's not good for no one. And, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's probably as close as he got to saying the players aren't changing. Although, the players kind of are changing. I wouldn't agree with that entirely. I think his better players are probably the ones who haven't changed. But the rest is what has. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe with his his attempt to say it in English rather than his native tongue, maybe he's saying it's the type of player no, never changes. You know, Tottenham always will go for these young players, always the players that kind of retain their value. And we know with Conte, he kind of said it a couple of weeks back, he prefers to have that little blend of experience in there as well. Although, I don't know, you've got Lloris what is he, 35? You've got Dyer, who's 28. You've got Kane, who's 28. You've got Son, what is he, 29 now? Uh, Lucas must be 29 up there as well. This isn't a team of kids. Maybe, maybe those experienced players aren't doing what they need to do with the younger players and bringing them on. I don't know. I I think he probably wants experienced players and then but experienced players who've won things in the career. He always Mm. seems to go for Arturo Vidal, wherever he's been. He'll always yeah. bring him somewhere. He was linked with Chelsea, but a move never went through. So he's going to be interesting to see what exactly Spurs do in the summer, whether they do persist with the idea of buying the younger players who they can mould and, you know, make them be world-class players over the coming years, or they do go for that experience, what Conte will want. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how things pan out in the summer. We'll uh, we'll discuss Saturday's game away at Leeds now. Uh Confident? <laughs> oh, yeah, really confident. <laughs> it's that classic uh, cliche expression that gets used, Dr. Tottenham will see you now, isn't it? Leeds got absolutely hammered by Liverpool in midweek, but you just know it'll be a very different game with Spurs. Um, Spurs struggled at Ellen Road, haven't they? Um, 
at, at times in the past. Um, oh yeah, it's like you could, after two after a game where you gave everything against Man City, you ran yourself into the ground. Then a match in the most ridiculous weather conditions where you probably knackered yourself out. You're then going to one of the most high-energy teams in the league in their own back garden. Um, I suppose I'm going to have to turn up. This is why I think he. I, I think this is why he'll desperately want people like Skip, who will just absolutely give everything on that pitch. Because I think he's going to have to make changes. Um, obviously, Reguilon, you'd think, will come in as well. Uh, but elsewhere, where do you change it? You know, you might say bring on Lucas for some pace, but I thought Lucas was very poor when he came on. Lucas didn't barely had an impact in the game, gave it away probably more times than he actually used the ball properly. It was interesting. I didn't see this, but from what lots of fans at the ground were saying, was apparently Lucas just stormed straight down the tunnel as soon as the whistle went. Um, yeah, uh, I I saw that. Uh, I only saw him heading back towards the tunnel with. Emerson, when right. a lot of the other players were, you know, in the middle of the pitch or going towards the away fans. Uh, I don't know what that was about. And I mean, I only caught him towards the corner flag, walking back in t- to the tunnel. So, yeah. I, yeah. Mean, I can't but imagine he'd be particularly annoyed yeah. with the team selection because Kulisevsky deserved to start again. Yeah. I don't think Lucas was really going to come into that front three. Um it may just be frustrated with himself that he wasn't able to make an impact. I don't know. But, yeah, I am. And this is the problem with a squad that maybe doesn't have so many options now in the attacking places. It's like, where do you change it up? Where, where Who comes out? I mean, what changes would you make? I think it's probably just going to be your wing-backs. Wing-backs and then Skip if he's fit for Benton Kerr or Harry Winks will start if Skip's not fit. I don't know. Are you, are you bringing him back dirty or are you throwing someone in that right wing back slot that doesn't normally play there? I, I mean, you could you could get away with it, putting Kulosevsky there. So, I mean, Rafinha plays on Leeds' right, so you'd need someone defensively good on the left. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, to be honest, but in, in your front three positions... Kane and Son are automatic starters. So it's whether he opts for Kulosevsky again, I'd keep him in, unless you're putting him as a right wing back. So there's yeah. not going to be whole, wholesale changes. It's literally it going to be, be two or three max. Yeah. I'm interested to see how Romero bounces back as well. Because <clears throat> purely on paper, he conceded a goal against, uh, sorry, conceded a penalty against Man City, and he was responsible for you know, essentially the Burnley goal not marking properly um, or not being strong enough maybe in the challenge. Obviously, we know the, re- the reality is a bit different. Against City, he was superb other than that one moment. Um, but yeah, Ben Mee, you know, that was, it was a classic kind of stereotypical Burnley set-piece goal. He showed the strength and desire to get there and Romero was really kind of caught, caught wanting on that one. So I'm intrigued to see how he kind of measured up against Leeds because Leeds will present again another different test. But, you know, team that's just got Wallop 6-0 should have confidence issues, but then unfortunately so will Tottenham. Yeah, I mean, I watched Leeds a couple of weeks ago at Everton and they were awful that day. Everton just got on top of them straight away from the first. Oh, it really must know. have been bad. Yeah, <laughs> from the first couple of minutes, and they just couldn't live with it. 
And so that's what you need to do. Just don't give him time on the ball. Just go for him straight away. And there's such a different side when Calvin Phillips in, in the midfield and Patrick Bamford's not up front. And for me, they're really heading in one direction at the moment, going on the past few results. Conceded six against Liverpool on Wednesday, four against Manchester United on Sunday, three against Everton, three against Villa so far this month. The shipping goals for fun. And you know with Bielsa, his system and style of play doesn't change, even if they're, you know, conceding <laughs> so many goals and losing and getting battered. You know they'll just carry on playing that way and not going to go ultra defensive. So I think you just got to go for them. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think oh, it's kind of become this quite a crunch match now because I think if Spurs lose another one, what will that be five and six? I think everything, the whole morale just goes through the floor. I think Conte is clearly going to take it very badly. Um, and it just starts to be these huge inquests in a squad that, like we say, can't be changed up too much. Um, honestly, I don't want to look too far ahead because who knows what can happen in the meantime, but the summer is just so crucial. It so needs Tottenham to change their normal approach because, you know, I've said this in a piece yesterday, you don't appoint, unless you're incredibly naive, you don't, you don't appoint Antonio Conte unless you're then going to financially back him. You know, he's a terrific coach. He's fantastic on the coaching pitch, uh, the training pitches. I constantly keep getting told by uh, people around the players and everything. But there's no way you bring in Antonio Conte just purely because of his coaching ability, thinking, oh, he'll sort them out, what we've got. You know, you'd have to be the most naive people in football to believe it. And, you know, Fabio Pratici surely knows Conte incredibly well from his Juventus time. So I can't imagine, I, I, I hope, that there's a plan in place for the summer to be a big one. That's what I keep hearing, that that's, it's all about that summer. Um, but the problem is right now is they've got to get there in one piece because if they can't turn this little run around, um, you know, you're going to go into the summer in an absolute stinker of a position and the club's going to start turning toxic. Um, yeah, it's not great. Tottenham Hotspur. I mean, how, you know, I wish we'd done a podcast on Monday. <laughs> It would have been so different. It would have been so much good, so much good things to talk about. I'm sounding a bit like Conte now. You know, we'd have, we'd have had a very different podcast on Monday, but that's, I suppose that is football. That's what it does to you. The emotions just change day in, day out, but still believe that as the boss of the club, as it were, it's your, it's your place to, to show the patience. Unfortunately, we didn't have time to do a podcast earlier in the week. Uh, because, but we were saying, yeah, well, we'll do it back end of the week. We'll talk about a really good week for Spurs if they win at Burnley and then they've just completely ruined it for us. So, uh, so yeah, it has been a bit more downbeat than usual. But, yeah, it, it, it's Tottenham. So, tomorrow is such an important game. I think they need to score first just to silence the crowd because if Leeds score first, you know, they'll be bang up for it and trying to yeah. hold on because they need the points because for me the way it's going I think they'll drop at the moment so yeah uh, I think we'll leave that there for today's latest famous episode famous last words of Rob Guest <laughs> yes I know I know <laughs> and then my team goes down instead of Leeds yeah that's <laughs> going to happen in right 
We'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guests Hot Tottenham. We'll be back next week uh, to reflect on the Leeds game, hopefully win, and then Middlesbrough away in the FA Cup, which will hopefully not be an FA Cup giant killing because that's the last thing we need at the moment. Yes. So, right. Uh, as ever, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.